Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning into the Deer Society Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke, and I'm joined by JJ Ducart and special guest today, Dan Kaufman. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. Good. How about you? Doing excellent. Season's almost here for us here in, in Minnesota. I know a lot of seasons have kicked off already. See some some big bucks hitting the dirt already in velvet, which is pretty exciting. So we're all jacked up here on the Deer Society office, and I'm sure you are too in Ohio. We were just looking at, at some of Dan's pictures, and he's got some good ones to chase this year, it looks like. Oh, yeah. It's been, it's, it's hopefully going to be a great year. I mean, we got a lot of, a lot of potential on the ground, so it should be good. Awesome. Well, for those of you that are deer hunters, I'm sure that you've seen Dan's photo floating around the internet. Dan uh, is the proud hunter that shot one of the most famous and largest whitetails to date with a bow and arrow, uh, the Dan Kaufman buck. So I want to start right there. Tell us the story behind the Dan Kaufman buck. What's that? What's that all about? Well, <laughs> it's been a fun ride. It's uh, started in 2014. I um, got a new property, and um, this buck showed up, and he just looked like he had a mess of antlers on top of his head and didn't get real great pictures of him at first, but um, just we knew he was going to be a stud, that's for sure. Um, we tried to kill him that year. Me and another buddy were hunting the same property. We didn't notice him that year till. I would say maybe late October, if I remember correctly. Um, several more pictures of them. Um, never did get an opportunity. Um, there was one time when I was at the ATA, I think it was January 3rd, maybe. Um, he did daylight on me while I was at the ATA. So that was a little bit of a bummer the first year. But lo and behold, he dropped a shed for me on February 13th, picked it up. And uh, threw an extra 90 to 100 inches on the next year. <laughs> so that was uh, kind of a uh, hindsight. I'm glad I didn't kill him in 14. Do you know? Do you have a guess on how old he was in 2014? We think he was six and a half in 2014. We've not had a tooth cut on him yet. Um, I'm eventually going to get that done. But through pictures um, from other hunters, um, the couple years that I had him, and obviously size, um, you know, I have sheds from two previous years and the deer. So his shed, his left side shed in 2013 would have been 102 inches, just his left side shed. His uh, left side shed in 2015 was 107. And then obviously he finished out right there around 300 inches. So I have to assume that he's right there at seven, you know, if not older. Well, a few things I caught out of there. First of all, yeah, you heard that right, 300 inches, which is absolutely insane. Like I said, one of the most famous deer that's that's ever been shot, I believe. What That's number three with a bow? Yes, number three behind Luke Brewster and um, Mike Beatty. Unreal. So, and we're talking Ohio. Um, for those of you guys that, that haven't heard that, Ohio, um, what... So six and a half to seven and a half, you said he put on 90 to 100 inches? Yes, he put on 90 inches, um, maybe 100, who knows. Um, now, with that being said, in 2014, his right side um, was very weak, almost as if he had an injury or maybe broke a beam off during velvet. Uncertain, um, but like I said, he came back in 15 with a vengeance. Um, you know, and it's it's hard to say what happened with him, but he was definitely, 
he definitely was shy. Uh, you know, he was probably only, I'd say, maybe 210 inches or so in 2014. Only, only yeah, 210? Well, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, compared to 300, but yeah, no. I, and by no means did, did I pass him. <laughs> I was trying to kill him in 14 just as hard as I was trying in 15. So, I mean, um, there's definitely, uh, there was no passing that deer any year I ever knew him. So... So fast forward to, to 2015, you picked up a shed 2014. When did you start seeing him again in 2015? Oh, I followed him all winter. Um, so 2014, um, well, I guess up to February 13th, um, obviously we're allowed to feed in Ohio. Um, so I do feed and, uh, you know, we like hammered to feed to him. I kept trail cameras on him. February 13th, he did drop that shed. I picked it up and I... I actually studied the pictures real hard prior to, because I knew when he dropped the sheds, I wanted to still be able to watch this buck without. So for the most part, I would say I knew him in every picture without horns on his head too. I want to say May, sometime around early May, maybe May 5th is when I first noticed the, you know, the 20 inch pop cans coming out of his head and um, I knew, wow, this, this deer is going to explode. And um, so, I mean, I never did quit watching him. I had cameras on him. He stayed in that area. Um, and I, this thing consumed me. <laughs> like, when I knew what I was hunting, there wasn't a day that went by. I, there probably wasn't a four-hour period that went by that I did not think about this deer. I mean, I had dreams about him. I, um, the one thing I remember is... I have to give this buck something nobody else will give him. Um, I wanted to give this buck something that, you know, something to make him stay on my property, to make him come to my property more often. And, you know, everybody feeds, everybody does mineral, everybody has water. So really, the, the one thing I could think is how can I control pressure? How can I give this deer everything and control pressure? Because that's the one thing everybody else is going to give. So I actually went into a thicket that was about 15 acres and I gave this deer feed, rare soybeans, corn, mineral next to a water source that was already there and put it in this thicket to where I knew this deer could not be hunted in this thicket because he would bust you out every time. You could not hunt this deer where I was putting this. And the reason I did that was I wanted him to feel comfortable. I wanted him to be able to stay in his bed and, and basically stay nutritional and not have to worry about hunting pressure. And I do believe, I think that's the one thing I did give him that that made him stay around, you know, because you, you think about it, a lot of people might be feeding and, but they're feeding in a situation to where they can hopefully pursue him later. Yeah. And I was putting a feed situation that I knew I would not be able to pursue. Interesting. So, you know, that's kind of cool. The fact that you were able to watch him, that you, you never stopped running cameras and you watched that particular deer, you know, almost a year round there. So what, what did that deer, did you notice any patterns? Did he ever leave or did he stay really right in that, in that core area all the way from when he dropped his sheds in February to, you know, all the way take us through the summer? What did you notice? What did you learn about that deer? Well, late season, he had a good tight pattern. I mean, he was there every night. He was still very nocturnal, um, you know, even especially over food. Like this deer would not, I do, I do not believe... I'd be hard-pressed to believe somebody could have killed him over a corn pile or over actual food because he was nocturnal. You know, unless it was 
three degrees out for two weeks straight with six inches of snow on the ground. He was not going to daylight on a corn pile. And that was actually the scenario on January 3rd when I was at the ATA. It was harsh weather for a long period of time with snow on the ground. He was forced to go in there in the daylight. Um, but other than that, it wasn't going to happen. Um, so late winter, he kept a tight pattern because, I, you know, he's staying close to feed. That's what he needs is bedding, feed, you know, sleep and eat. Now, as grazing time, which, you know, I consider, you know, going into May and April when he's got other things, you know, I look at a seven-year-old deer like that. He would rather, he would rather graze off, you know, just regular grazing food, not a corn pile laying there that he knows that something's not right about that. That's not supposed to be there. So as soon as he was able to graze, he definitely would start to disappear more often. Um, and through the summer, I mean, he would disappear for a week, week and a half at a time. I mean, and, and I wouldn't see him. And I was running 15 cameras, I think. And on my farm that I was able to hunt was roughly 500 acres. And I'll bet you pre-rut, not rut, but during his pattern time, um, he probably covered 80 acres of that, maybe, maybe 100. So I had 15 cameras within 100 acres of this farm. And I had it set up to where I could pretty much check all these cameras right off the side of my four-wheeler to where I did my UTV. I didn't have to step off of it. And I have tried to avoid scent in every way possible because, you know, I knew when I left scent, this deer, he would, he'd stay away, you know. Um, Your human scent. Yeah, my human scent, exactly. So I um, really focused on that. And like I was saying, I would say... When the beans turned green, then I could pattern him a little bit more. When the beans came up, he started hitting the beans more often. There was times where he was even bedded in the beans. I knew he was bedded in the beans. And, um, you know, of course, once they turned, my beans actually turned brown going into season, early September, and he disappeared. And uh, it's funny because I went around looking for him with binoculars, and I found him, and I knew a bean field that he was in. And it was actually a bean field that a friend of mine had permission to hunt that farm. And honestly, I was very fearful of he's got a good chance of killing this deer. And and he stayed in that bean field all the way up till, I mean, first week of October, I'd say. Um, second week of October. And then that's when he finally started showing back up on my farm again. Um, and then at that point, you know, obviously in Ohio, we go through several patterns. You know, you have a summer pattern. And those, deers, those deer are patternable in the summer. And then once they lose velvet and hardhorn, they kind of change their pattern a little bit when that testosterone kicks up, I think. And then you have what I call the bean pattern. It's as long as the beans are green, they're staying in the beans. Once those beans start to turn brown, they'll switch to a different bean field and then maybe get on the, the white oaks. And then once you get into mid-October, now you're starting to talk about the rut. So the rut kicks up now. Good luck finding a pattern, right? They're all over the place. But what I did know is, even though I can't get a pattern, there's one thing that there is a pattern there. It's just not a very good pattern is his corridors. Regardless of his pattern, he's always going to travel them same corridors. I mean, he's going to have a few corridors that he uses on a farm. And I used a um, cork board with a map on it and red pens and different colored pens and Throughout all the time I knew him, I took all the pictures and literally went back on those pictures, found the wind direction, 
I put a pin where he was. I documented the wind direction, where he was coming from, where I thought he might have been bedded. And, and that's kind of how I figured out what his corridors are. So even though I couldn't really hunt a common pattern that he was going to travel, I still knew the pattern of his corridors and where I needed to be. And if I could figure out where he was bedded, go back on my data and say, okay, the last time he was bedded here and the wind was doing this, he took this corridor because the next night he moved on this side of the farm. And that makes me think, okay, he traveled this corridor to get to there when the wind was blowing that way. So it kind of gave me an idea, you know, when my cold front came in and I started having wind changes versus where he's bedded, I can catch this deer. So going into the season, you weren't necessarily, again, you weren't hunting that deer. Uh, if I'm correct, you weren't hunting him where you were getting all the pictures and intel of him, where you set up that area in that thicket because you did that on purpose. So your main focus then was to try to narrow down this deer's corridors, figure out where he was traveling and catch him in between. Yes. My only reason for putting that feed and all that stuff in that, that thicket was just to keep him there, to keep him comfortable in there. Um, I was probably hunting 200 yards from there, I'd say, um, if not a little bit more. Um, and that was a corridor that the previous morning he had come out of a thicket on the other side of the farm. So there was basically from where I was hunting, looking out from my stand, there was a probably a 10 to 12 acre thicket on the southwest side of the farm. And then there was probably an 80 acre CRP field on the south east side of the farm well he had come out of the southeast side um crp field licked on a mineral lick and walked back in at 5 a.m this morning uh, that morning so i knew he was in that crp field um and, and i obviously knew that day on october 26th that we had a cold front coming in we had winds coming out of the northwest um it was a red moon um, what else we had? I mean, it, everything was perfect that night, but I also knew there were times when I could hunt where I knew where this buck was bedded, knew where he was bedded. That's probably one of the hardest thing is to know exactly where a deer is probably within 20 yards of where he's laying and still you can't hunt him because you can't access him. He was smart. Like I knew where he was bedded, but I knew why he was bedded there because when he gets up, he's going this direction and he's got the wind right in his face. There's nothing I can do about that, right? Well, hindsight, even looking at that, that's exactly what he still did. Because when I went in that night to hunt him, I went in with the intent of all the weather's right. He's over on this northeast um, field. Okay, with a northwest wind, I have he has a crosswind. And I'm a true believer that you're hunting a seven-year-old deer he, you better not give him the wind 100% because he's going to smell you and he's not coming in. But on the other hand, you also have to give him a wind just enough to make him feel comfortable. Because if he don't have a wind at all, he's still not coming in. He's smarter than that. He knows he can go get food somewhere else. He knows that, you know, it's not safe. So thinking that he was coming from that northeast CRP field and with us having a northwest wind, I knew, okay, he's got a crosswind. I correct, correct me, I, that was a northeast wind that day. Yeah, northeast wind. Because um, he's he's got a crosswind coming across there. 
But by the time he gets in my crosswind, I'd have an arrow in him. And in my mind, I knew, okay, well, he's still nocturnal. So how do I defeat that? You know, how do I defeat the fact that he's nocturnal? Well, I actually spoke with my neighbor who he's got probably 30 years of me uh, over me hunting. And he hunts different style hunting, traditional hunting. But regardless, you know, that was a time in my life where I'm like, I'm going to consume every bit of knowledge that I can possibly consume from everybody. And I'm going to take in as much as I can, because if I think I have enough knowledge, like I didn't think like, who am I to kill this monster? You know, I'm, you know, I was lucky enough to be hunting. I'm like, that's like winning the lottery. You know, who, who am I to be able to be the one that gets to harvest this buck? So I thought I'm going to take in as much knowledge as possible from every possible person out there. So Sean was one of the guys that um, I took that knowledge in from that night. He actually told me, he said, well, He's nocturnal. He goes, you know, have you considered doing a little rattling, making a little noise, you know, grunting, and um, and maybe maybe he you can get him up five minutes early, ten minutes early, just curious of what's going on. So I said, yeah, you're right. Well, previous I'd watched, you know, at some Deer Society videos, and we've talked about this, and and Rod White puts on a show, one of the videos where he talks about the breeder grunt. You know, it's like a roar grunt. It's a very in-depth grunt. I thought, you know, I'm going to try that. You know, they talk about that. And, and I'd watched the episode to where they discussed on how, you know, deer can hear that grunt from a lot longer than you think, and even if they don't pay attention. And, and so I was pretty amped up, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go in there tonight. But uh, on the other hand, I also still thought I was hunting a ghost. I thought, I'm, I'm just going to hunt this deer until he dies of old age and then be happy with it <laughs> and move on, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I thought, I'm going to give it everything I can. So... So I went in that night, and um, it, you know, I was also very curious or very um, careful, I should say, about my um, scent control. All my stuff stayed in, you know, like plastic sacks. I mean, it was 100% scent-free. You know, I'm one of those guys. I don't believe in, I believe scent-free is better than any scent. Scent-free as possible. I was sneaking down this old road. It used to be a gravel driveway to a um, house on the, in the middle of the property, down trees. I mean, it was. It took me forty-five minutes to walk a hundred yards, one hundred fifty yards back to a stand because I was, you know, that was the only way I could access the property without being seen. So I get back there, and um, and that's what I did. I mean, I I spent the first half an hour. I rattled very lightly, just enough to make some noise. Um, did a couple, you know, just small bleats, and, and that's about it, really. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, well, we'll see, you know. Waited another hour, maybe, and then I hammered the horns together real hard. I mean, made a ton of noise. Um, I'd say this was probably about an hour left of hunting. Um, hammered them together, did a couple bleats, um, breed bleats, um, and then I did that breeder grunt, a couple low, you know, just regular runts and uh really gave it a lot of tone when i did that breeder grunt i mean i really got into it i just kind of sat down and thought well i either made the hunt or ruined the hunt you know we'll see and uh you know it was probably 15 minutes of the shooting time left and um i look and look up and there he is well here's where i go back to he was in the north east um thicket and I had a north, or I had a, or he was in the southeast thicket. I had a wind coming out of the northeast, right? 
Well, sometime in that morning, this goes to show you how smart that deer was. Sometime in that morning afterwards, he decided to cross that field and go over in that northwest thicket. He left the CRP field in the northeast and went to the northwest thicket. And that's where he was standing, probably about a couple hundred yards up on top of the hill, coming out of that um, south, it had been the southwest uh, thicket. Well, if you remember right, I had a northeast wind, right? So he's so, coming downwind. He's 100% downwind of me. And if I would have known that, truly, if I would have known he was there, I wouldn't have hunted him because I had no way of hunting him there without keeping him in my wind. And the only thing I can say is if you were to tell me that situation was going to happen, I would have said, you'll never beat his nose. And the only thing I can say is through all the things I did with scent control is, and the fact that, you know, it was, it was a little bit of pre-rut too. Somehow I fooled him and, and I, I called a little bit of luck too. There's a lot of luck involved too. We know that, but um, he did exactly what I thought he would do. There's not a doubt in my mind the way that buck comes, and you can see it on a video, he, he literally, now, now granted, keep in mind, my tree stand was on his corridor. I mean, like that, I knew he traveled on that corridor, but he never really cut across the field like that. He followed, there was a, um, a tree line that kind of went down across the bottom field, and he would usually follow that tree line down and then come down through there and come to me. But actually, he comes straight across the field, like almost like he was on a fishing line, and I was just reeling him in. Come straight to me, and uh, he come down, rubbed a tree about 100 yards from me, actually 120 yards from me. I know that because that was his first bed that he bled in, and I remember it being about 120 yards. Um, and then took a left and come out right in front of me about 30 yards. And I remember I had the camera on him. He was standing there. You know, it's getting dusky, and I'm sitting there thinking, this deer is going to cross this tree line. And I'm like, he never does that. That's not the corridor he travels. He always takes a right and travels down this fence row, which would give me a 10-yard shot, right? But he's at 30 yards, but he's in an open field. But it's it's getting, you know, at the edge of daylight. And I'm sitting there debating on whether to draw my bow back, but we've all been there. We've all taken that split-second shot, missed a deer, and then kicked ourselves in the butt for the next three months like why didn't we have a little bit of more patience than just seeing what he was going to do so that's all i could think is I'm, I'm sitting there i'm ready if he takes two or three steps forward i'm going to pull back and i'm going to take a 30 yard shot which you know I, i'm confident with 30 yards but i'd rather take a 10 yard shot you know Absolutely. all day long well finally he took that right step and when he took that right step is when you know at that point luckily i had the camera to run because i was self-filming you know i had a bow to pull back i had all this to do so that's probably the only thing that kept me from shaking out of the stand before I even got a shot off, obviously. Um, so I was running the camera and uh, kind of brought the camera around and, and pulled the bow back. And it was a split second shot, pulled back, put it right on him. And, you know, I won't lie as much as I love to put that pin, you know, a couple inches behind the shoulder and put that perfect shot on that deer. There was a lot going on. I was nervous and, uh, I would say muscle memory from practice and got me through a lot on that deer. Um, you know, I, I probably honestly center him. I don't ever recall. I don't, I can't recall back putting a pen where it needed to be. Like I remember, like, I think I like center masked him, you know? And, uh, but you know, as soon as I heard the arrow hit, it was immediately, I was like, that's a good shot. He's dead, you know? And, um, 
So then I watched him run out in the field. He ran about 100 yards and just stopped and stood there. And I honestly thought he was bedded down because at this point, you know, everything's going on and he, 100 yards at this point, you know, we're talking seven minutes of shooting time left is when I put an arrow in him. So seven minutes of legal shooting time, I put an arrow in him. You know, he runs out in the middle of the field. And at this point, like I can see him pretty good, but I can see an arrow sticking out of him, like almost like it didn't get good penetration. Well, immediately, what do we start doing? We start doubting ourselves. And like, Second guessing. Yeah. So uh, I thought he laid down. So I thought, man, he's dead. You know, okay, he's dead. But then I was kind of second-guessing myself, and then reality kicked in, and then that's when I went into a straight anxiety attack and uh, never had anxiety in my life. But next thing I know, I'm shaking so bad. I'm holding on to the tree. I get down on my hands and knees, and I'm, like, just sitting there holding on to the seat. I call my buddy Jeremy, and I'm like, I just killed him. And I won't repeat the first words he said, but uh, he didn't believe me right away. And uh, he, uh, I said, no, I'm dead serious, and you need to come get me out of this tree stand because I can't get out of it. And he said, don't do anything. I'll be there. So um, I um, waited for him, and um, he drove straight back to the field. But eventually, I had something kicked in. Okay, I got to get down. I got to get down. This, this deer's dad, I, I want, I'm ready to celebrate, you know. I'm like, the biggest deer I've Calm ever down. killed, you know. Probably the biggest, it will be the biggest deer I ever kill, I'm certain, you know. And um, But it was funny because when Jeremy pulled up, he said it looked like a yard sale. Because it was like, I didn't care about anything. Next thing you know, I'm like unhooks, throwing them. You know, like the only thing I think I didn't throw out of the tree was my camera. Like <laughs> my backpack, I just launched it. Like, team, I'm just throwing everything out. I'll get it when I get down, right? You know, I don't have time to put this stuff up. But And then we got down and uh, reality kicked in and he wasn't laying there anymore. I found some blood and um, waited till Jeremy got there. We probably tracked him. 80 yards out in the field before we decided, all right, let's, let's just wait till morning. And um, we know, you know, daylight, let's not screw this up. We didn't tell anybody about it. We came, we sit, actually, we sit up on top of a hill um, all night long. But it was a full moon. We sit in his Jeep up on top of this hill on his farm in glass because it was a full moon. It was a very bright moon that night. And uh, we glassed. Like the field's looking for a blue knock sticking out of the deer. Like if he was walking around, you know, never seen him, never seen anything of the sort. Well, come morning, come daybreak, we we get out and you didn't sleep at you know, all. Was, <laughs> no, I, no, I never. I don't think I ever closed my eyes that night, um, and I don't think Jeremy did either. Um, and it's like as much as you want to call people and get help, it's like no, no, we need to keep this silent because I don't. I just don't, you know, I, I felt comfortable about keeping it silent. Me and Jeremy will do it all. Well, um, that next morning, we get up to the blood trail, and he looks at me, and he's got his phone in his hand, and he goes, um, it's going to rain here in the next 20 minutes. And I, like, start dry heaving. I'm like, anxiety just built up all night. And I, I, like, couldn't even control it. Like, nothing, I, like, I was, you know, like, done. So immediately I called a friend that I knew that had a dog. And he was busy. He couldn't make it out there until later after it rained. Um, and the rest, you know, it took, I, you know, I didn't put a great shot on him, unfortunately. Um, it was high and back, but it was quartering away. And um, when we when we, we kind of took him apart when we gutted him, and um, it was liver, right lung, and not much of the right lung, and it was high right lung. Um, and then 
Yeah, basically gut, liver, lung. Obviously, gut's probably what did him in. Um, we ended up finding a thousand yards twenty four hours after I shot him at a thousand yards away with no blood trail after one hundred twenty five. So that bed that we found at one hundred twenty yards had blood in it, and after that bed, there was not another speck of blood. What we figured out later is we probably should have never, and this was a learning lesson, we should have never went out in that field. We should have just went home, watched the video, because when we went 80 yards out in that field, there was just a tree line there. That's all it was is a tree line, and it was a very thin tree line. I couldn't imagine him bedding in there first. But when a deer's gut shot, he's going to go to the first safe place he thinks, and that's the problem. When we went 80 yards out in that field, that put us 60, 70 yards from him. We bumped him, and he ran another 700 yards, you know. Um, so, I mean, you know, but I always say I would never take it back because, you know, the one thing that when you take a friend like Jeremy, like Jeremy's been my, we grew up together, we hunt together, we do everything together, we're great friends. And when you take a situation like that, it took us 24 hours to find it. Like the the, the friendship, the brotherhood that we built through that that's that's humongous in itself not you know he was the one who actually found it he's the one who found it <laughs> we were videoing so it was kind of cool because he fell and i said i look back and i'm like you all right what's well, five six o'clock in the evening i'm like whooped we haven't ate we've not even left the farm didn't eat nothing we had for some reason, I think we had a couple Gatorades that we'd bought, and that's pretty much all we had all day. We were whooped. We, we were worn out, tired. We didn't think this deer was dead. This spot we were going to check was a last-ditch effort. We had already talked about setting up feed, resetting the cameras and everything. We were tired, and Jeremy had fell down. I look back. I'm like, you all right, man? He goes, yeah, I just, man, I just busted the lens on this camera, though. That's my camera. So he was trying to, you know, I was like, they're, they're not cheap. So... I was, I was like, I don't care, man, at this point, you know. And he's like, no, seriously, you got to see this. This thing's shattered. This camera's ruined. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. And I, so I walked back there, and he goes, the exact words, he's like, I tripped over that damn thing. <laughs> and I turn around, and I look, and it's my deer. You know, and he wanted oh. to get that raw, emotional state. You know, he didn't want to tell me from 80 yards away, hey, your deer's right here. Yep. And he did. And, and unfortunately... Some of that had to be bleeped out. And uh, he told me, he's like, language, Dan, language. I'm like, you know, it was uncontrollable. When I found him, I was just, it was a high of none other, you know. And uh, and like I said, I wouldn't take going out in that field back. It's a learning lesson for the next time by all means. But I wouldn't take it back for nothing because the the, the brotherhood, the, that memory we built is it's humongous, you know. That's that's awesome. You know, you, you just you, you told that whole story, and it, and it's this three hundred inch deer, and it, and it seems like the the not necessarily the main thing, but one of the strongest drive home feelings that you took away from the whole experience was that brotherhood and friendship that you built with your friend Jeremy, and that's that's. Again, we talk about it all the time on this podcast and we talk about it in, in Hunt Break. I mean, that's what hunting is all about. That's exactly it. The people that don't get hunting, they don't see that side of it. They never get to experience it. And that's really what it's all about. I mean, that's that's the coolest thing ever, I think. So very cool. So you, you finally find this buck and you get your hands on him. I mean, what? tell me about that feeling when you finally put your hands on his rack. It was... Uh, it, it was undescribable. It was a feeling of like, um, it's undescribable. It's, it, was, it was incredible. It was, um, 
it was just, you know, the highs and lows through the whole two years of hunting this deer, um, it was just crazy. And I tease people. I joke around and I say, I think that deer probably took 10 years off my life, you know, the stress <laughs> of it and, and hunting them. Um, it, it, it's just to go through all those highs and lows. And as I said, I wouldn't take it, any of it back because it all made the hunt. It made the end. It, it made it that much more you know, worthy. Um, but through all the highs and lows, it was definitely probably, I would say the, probably the highest high of my hunting career. I mean, um, to finally do something that I honestly, up until the night I put an arrow in him, I, I truly believed. I remember a friend asking me like, you gonna kill him this year? And I said, yeah, probably not. I said, I'm just gonna hunt him until he dies of old age and I'll be thankful I got to hunt him and then move on, but I can't move on until he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was, it was, it was, it was a lot of stress, but, um, you know, there was even one time through the hunt, I came back from Canada and this was just before season. I went bear hunting in Canada early September and I checked 15 cameras, 14 cameras were erased and shut off. And um, <laughs> the batteries on them were still high. And it wasn't making sense. All the batteries were over 50%. Well, with that deer, when I checked, when I would check cards and stuff, if the battery was 50% or less, I always replaced the batteries and put new batteries. And they were shut off. And all I could think is, did I not turn these cameras on? But like, I'm like sitting there thinking now, because all the batteries are above that 50% mark. So that means I was cognizant enough to leave the camera, not change the batteries. Well, there was a camera that this deer, I'd catch him in every once in a while, but it'd be a blur and I was pretty sure it was him. I set another camera up high facing down at that camera, past that camera to hopefully catch him. Well, long story short, I, I got a picture of a guy shutting my cameras off. And I was, you wouldn't believe the, the fury that was in me. Well, so I find this guy. Here's how, what's crazy is I ended up um, going, what I did was I searched all the properties around and the property owners and looked their name up on Facebook and found their faces and then matched this guy to one of those properties through his Facebook, knocked on his door, uh, luckily I stayed cool headed and I talked to him come to find out this guy was like a good honest guy you know he made a, a bad decision bad at the time for sure his <laughs> daughter had a 4-H show goat right he knew the lady that owned this property that lived on the property was very old it was late at night his daughter's show goat got loose he knew it was posted he knew he couldn't be on it but he thought you know, I'm not going on it to do anything wrong. No harm, no foul. I just need to get my daughter's goat and get it back home. He gets back in these woods at night and starts to see cameras flashing. Well, he's an IT tech guy for, I think, the state of Ohio or something like that. He's very intelligent when it comes to computers. He's not a hunter, has no clue about trail cameras, but figures out, like, okay, now I've screwed up. You know, do I make a phone call or do I just, you know, no harm, no foul. I'm going to erase my pictures off these. He deleted all the pictures and shut the cameras off and left <laughs> and uh, deleted 
two weeks before, two to three weeks before season started of information on this deer. I was like, you know, and um, of course, here I am in a situation. I'm like, I'm not going to tell this guy what I'm hunting. But I told him, I'm like, I wish I could explain to you what you've done, but I'm not going to. And he goes, is there anything I can do to make it better? I said, yes, sir. I said, you know, that three acres of property you have that butt up against my farm, there's only three acres and I had a couple pines on the backside. And he goes, yeah. And I said, all I ask is you don't give anybody permission to hunt that other than me for this year. And he goes, you got it. I said, shook his hand and moved on and, you know, no harm, no foul. I mean, you know, I was just glad that I found out it wasn't a hunter, another, like we were talking earlier, another brotherhood hunter trying to sabotage this deer or me, you know. And so that was kind of a, a, a rocky low, but turned into like, okay, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, one of those times, so. Well, that's crazy. He definitely handled it better than a, a lot of hunters out there would have. I don't know. JJ would have been knocking the guy's door yeah, down. Yeah, I've been pretty upset. But <laughs> so back to that point, like everybody gets kind of hung up on big deer and this and that, and you know, stories start to fly. And especially after you harvested the buck, uh, we're looking at a photo back behind you for those of of you that are listening and not watching. Dan's sitting there with his son. What is he about three, four years old here, Waylon? Oh, I think big old two. Two. Big old grin on his face holding a 300-inch buck, and then right beside him is the Ohio Division of Wildlife Officer um, right over your shoulder. So explain that a little bit. So one of the things that um, I actually have to give a little credit to Jeremy for this. He's the one that actually threw the idea at me when we were going to Canada. We talked about it, you know, that I was hunting a deer that no matter what happened, if I killed that deer, there was going to be a lot of negativity that came along with it too. As much as it would be positive, there would be negativity. And, you know, that's something that you spend so much time and energy on something and, and it means so much to you. The last thing you want to hear is the negativity. So you got to kind of think to yourself, well, what can we do to stop the negativity? And and Jeremy had that. He said, well, why don't you call their DNA our officer and talk to him? And I said, heck yeah, let's do it. So I didn't know Tony at the time. Um, he was just an acquaintance. He was our agent, our DNR officer out there. And uh, I called him up. And uh, so he calls me back and he said, what's going on? And I explained to him. I said, look, I said, I'm, I'm hunting a deer that is very important. He's, he's very big. And I said, you're probably going to be investigating him anyways if I do harvest him. I said, um, you know, I, I've knocked on all the neighbor's doors around me. And most of them have given me permission if he does go onto their property, you know. And I didn't tell them what I was hunting, but I said I was hunting a deer that was very important to me. And I said, look, if I, if I do hunt this deer and it runs on your property and dies, will you allow me permission to go get it on your property? Some of them gave me permission, Sips. Some of them said, you know, yeah, absolutely. But nobody denied me by any means. Um, but that way I knew that, okay, I don't, if somebody said no, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I want to try to hunt this deer in a way that it's not going to run onto their property. But either way, I was talking to Tony, I explained to him that, you know, I did all that. And I said, I said, what I would ask of you is I said, if I do kill this deer, I said, I leave it as it lays. I call you, you can come out. Hopefully I'll have it on video. You can investigate the video footage, hold permission slips the blood trail, anything you want. I said, I want you to clear my name before anybody even knows about this deer. And he laughed and he goes, well, how big is it? And I said, well, I don't really want to talk about it. 
And he goes, oh, come on. I, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody. I said, well, I said, I've got a lot of pictures of it. And I said, I've got four or five close friends. We all think it's going to be over 300 inches. And he basically told me BS. And I laughed and I said, well, that's fine. I'm fine with you thinking that. And I said, Can, you know, would you be willing to give me your number to be able to call you? And he goes, seriously? He goes, will you send me a picture? And I said, absolutely not. I've never sent anybody a picture. <laughs> I said, the pictures don't leave my computer or phone. I said, but if I see you in public for some reason, I said, I'd be more than happy to show you a picture. He says, all right, well, hey, here's my number. He said, don't call me for anything stupid. He goes, it's my work number. And he goes, here's my number. So he gave me his number and. I don't think he believed me. <laughs> I think he was kind of like, no way, you know, and he believed me when he saw it. <laughs> I believe it. But, and we've, you know, it's, it's, it was a good thing. It was a very positive thing. Um, it was kind of, it, it's, it's been a blessing because, I mean, they ended up putting me on the ODNR regs. And to me, that's probably one of the most rewarding, um, prideful things that, that I've ever been a part of. Um, just to know that, you know, I got a good working relationship with them. If anything ever happens, you know, I, I don't feel uncomfortable about calling Tony or um, our Perry County um, guy. He, you know, all of them are, are great to me. They know. I, I hope that I've proven to them that I'm, you know, I try to be a good, honest, ethical hunter, and, and I think they respect that. So it's it's been a great thing. Well, good on you for doing that. You know, it's... <laughs> it's cool to see guys like you who, sh who've shot really, really big deer and, and, you know, have been completely legitimized and, and, you know, will stand there and say, you know what, I did everything ethical and this, you know, people can really do it ethical. You know, there's been some, you know, some people who have done it unethically and that's why, you know, there's kind of that stereotype around it, but it's a shame that too, in our industry that you even had to think about doing that, you know, that you had to think about that negative side. And, you know, I'm not sure really why that is. I don't know if it's a, a, a jealousy thing. And obviously it's sparked more by social media now too. And I don't know, you know, the shame is that you see these, you know, negative comments. I mean, JJ, you manage social media and website, but you see these negative comments. And I honestly, truly do not believe that that the people making these comments even feel that way. You know, a lot of the time I see, you see people out there that make a comment and, and you would bet that if, if it were their deer or, or, or another situation, they don't even actually really think that, you know? Well, I think a lot of these hunters too, and I, I see the comments all the time, high fans, this, that, and, and I just kind of laugh and I, I tell them, I said, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll even post a comment. I say, I, I challenge you to, read up on that deer. I think you would have a different opinion if you read the articles and stuff. And that's all I say. And, you know, you can't really, I'm not going to argue with people. I think as, as hunters, though, we need to, you know, we need to look at it like it always has been, like like a, we should be a tight-knit group of guys, and we need to give guys the benefit of the doubt. Even if you really, truly in your mind think, man, it doesn't seem right, give them the benefit of the doubt. Until he proves you otherwise, we're guilty, you know, we, we're not guilty before proven, you know, innocent. They're innocent until proven. You can't, you know, be proud of it. Be happy for the guy, you know. I mean, it's not like, you know, I think sometimes people think that because they, that jealousy might come from because they think he, he thinks he's something special because he killed a monster buck. And I don't think it. I've spoken to Luke Brewster, uh, Stephen Tucker, Michael Beatty, um, a lot of these guys that have killed monsters, and none of them have I 
got that persona out of them or that like I think we all kind of look at it as like no we were just we're no special than anybody else we were given an opportunity that I would say 90% of hunters yes did I put a lot of effort into the homework that I did on that deer more than what I have any other deer yeah but honestly, I think 90% of hunters out there, if they had a 300-inch deer on their farm and got the opportunity to hunt it, they would be doing the same thing. They would put that effort in. You know, it doesn't make you more special. It just, it, it, it's a great opportunity that you got that, you know, it, it's. And with that being said, there, there also are guys that are killing multiple deer over 200 inches. And, and there's something to be said about that, too. I mean, that's, you know. To me, that's kind of a different, you know, my outlook on it. Like, people are like, well, what are you going to do next? You done now? I'm like, no, I got to prove myself. I want to kill another deer over 200 inches. I want to, you know, I, I want to keep going. Like, I, I've always said, I don't want to learn from the guy who thinks he knows it all because he was done learning when he realized he knew it all. I want to learn from the guy that knows he doesn't know it all and wants to keep learning more because it's constantly changing. I mean, it, you never know who you can learn something from. I mean, I've learned stuff from guys that only have been hunting for two years. And, you know, because these guys, these young kids, younger kids, they're glued to these computers. Like when they want to research something, they're like YouTube for hours learning. And like you, they do obtain a lot of knowledge that, you know, they may have obtained it from Don Higgins, you know, watching his podcast and maybe I hadn't caught that series yet, and I hear him say it, and I'm like, hmm. You know, it's like, well, that makes sense. Why haven't I thought of that, you know? So we can learn from everybody. And, and I think we need to – that's part of that that shaming on Facebook that hopefully we can get away from and, and be more positive and, and, you know, congratulations, man. By all means, if you know somebody's post and they've done something wrong, I'm – you know, I – I don't shame them. I don't have time to shame them. I got better things to do. I'm going to make more progress and positive things in my life. But on the other hand, if I know somebody's done something illegal and they're poaching and they're not doing it right, I'd, I I do lose respect for them. I mean, yeah. if I know that, but yeah. I got to know that before I'm going to, you know, go to that conclusion. Right. And, the, and those regulations are there for a reason. You know what? There's guys out there that are going to poach. There's guys out there that are, it's just in like everyday life that are going to break the law. But, you know, for us, I, I see so quick on social media for guys to, to jump on somebody for, you know, shooting too big a deer or shooting too small of a deer. What What's the perfect deer to shoot? I mean, it, are you not going to get shamed only if you shoot 140 inch or, you know, celebrate every single deer because to somebody different, it's, it's every, everything is different for each person. I could go out there and shoot 110 inch this year. Maybe I will and be super freaking proud of it. You know, but who are you to come then and say, oh, well, you shouldn't hunt that way or you shouldn't do this or that. Or the other thing, when our industry is changing so fast, you know, and, and everybody, those will be the same people that will say, well, the anti-hunters are, are growing and the, and the hunting population is dying. Well, what are we doing? You know, I, I mean, we are hunters. We're, we're all in it together. And you know what? Good for you. However you want to hunt, whatever you want to shoot, go freaking do it. You know? Yeah. As long as it's legal, it doesn't matter if it's crossbow. You go out one time of the year, you're a shotgun hunter, bow hunter. It doesn't matter if it makes you happy. You shoot what you want. It's legal. That's what it's all about. I think we should be, we should be hunting for ourselves, you know, the pride of ourselves, not hunting to try to prove something to somebody or try to um, outdo somebody, but, but for yourself. I mean, yes, it is a competitive sport. Um, there's a reason we take measurements on deer. and You know, but at the end of the day, 
you know, it's like I've, I've told people that come to my property and hunt, they say, well, what size is right? And I'm like, whatever size makes you shake. I mean, whatever size gets you excited, you know, I'm not going to, like, I, I can tell you this, out of all the deer in my house, I've had people say, well, what does he score? What does he score? Honestly, there's only one deer in my house that I really, truly know exactly, that it's been professionally scored, and that's the Kaufman buck. And truly the biggest reason that I had him scored is because I was told several times, like, if you don't, it, it cuts it, the legitimacy of it. it you know, people, they want to know the score. The industry wants to know about this deer. Or, they, yeah, they question, if it's not in the record books, well, then why, you know? And it's just, it shouldn't be that way. But And, I, and I've got several deer that aren't in the records book, but I'll tell you this. I can't tell you the score of all them deer. I could probably get you within 10 inches. But all the way down to the button buck that I killed at eight years old with a compound bow, just as much pride goes into that deer. Like, I can't tell you the scores of all these deers, but I can tell you every hunt, how it went down, who was there leading up to the hunt. I mean, my button buck that I killed, I'll never forget. I told my dad. My dad come over, and he was probably more excited than I was. You know, I was shaking up, and he was excited. And and I said, Dad, he ran that way. The last time I seen him was probably 100 yards over there. And Dad finds the first trail of blood. And, and there was only one deer there, just one little button buck. And I didn't know he was a button buck. I didn't care. It, it was my first deer. And he walks about 20 yards, and he goes, are you talking about this deer? You seen him run 80 yards over there because <laughs> he died right here. And, you know, it's like <laughs> I laugh about that. I was so excited yep. that I didn't even, like, I was seeing stuff. <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but put a great shot on him. You know, I was shooting a bow that pulled back 40 pounds, you know, and, and literally I have an arrow that I bet you my arrow ain't 20 inches, probably eight, 16, 18 inches long, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like I said, it's a memory, and, and those memories, they last a long time. They absolutely do. That's that's awesome. I can remember my first one too. It's it's crazy, and my dad being there. It's that's what it's all about. Um, I want to know. So let's talk about. So you shoot this deer. You know you have the game warden out there. Now you have this deer that is this monstrosity. You know it's something special. Not only is it important to you first and foremost, but to the industry as a whole, it, it it's important as well. So now you, you have the Kaufman buck in and. He's potentially a, a world record. Who knows what he's going to be? What, how does your life change at that point, if at all? Well, I mean, obviously, immediately right after, it was very changing. Um, within days, every single day, within the first couple of weeks after I killed it, I'll bet you my phone was lit up 24-7. I mean, it was voicemail was full every day. Emails were full. And it was very exciting. It was very stressful. Keep in mind that I killed this deer on October 26th, and my daughter was born on November 4th as well. So uh, that was a very busy time in my life, and I was working very busy fire station in Columbus and um, trying to keep up with everything. And, and you know, I, I was already filming in the industry, um, so I knew there was going to be opportunity, you know, in the industry to um, to be able to be a part of, of more things, you know. Um, it's always been a dream to be in the industry for me to be, you know, a part of the industry to, to work with companies and, and, and do things. Um, so obviously there was opportunity that came about that. I met a lot of great people. Um, you know, that's probably one of the coolest things is, is the people I've gotten the opportunity to meet, um, just in hearing different stories and, and talking to people and, um, and, 
You know, it's, and then on top of that, it's also been when you surround yourself with more people and you're around more people like that, you find yourself learning more and you find yourself wanting to learn more and wanting to do better and wanting to, you know, reach out for higher goals than you ever thought you'd reach for. Um, and, and it has drove me to do a lot more reading, a lot more studying. And, and like I said, to learn more, to, to go bigger, to, um, you know, to chase that bigger dream, I guess. Um, you know, as far as the deer, I, it's still, it hangs in my house and, Every, you know, I probably see it every day. I walk in there. I still, I'm still kind of like, wow, that happened. You know, that really did happen. And, um, and I still, like there's, to this day, people will still stop by my house. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it like this is, um, you know, people like, people stop by your house and you take them in your house and show them. And obviously I don't let just anybody walk in my house. But, but on the other hand, like, you know, if people are stopping there to meet me or, or anything, and, and you can kind of feel him out and like, yeah, he seems like, yeah, he seems like pretty good, upstanding guy, you know. I'm like, you want to see it, you know? And, and he's like, yeah, absolutely, you know, or, or whoever it is. And um, I take him in and show him. And, and, um, and you know, I've actually met friends doing that and, and um, people I've hunted with. And, and I kind of look at it like this. It's, you know, that was a God-given gift to me. It, it's something that... I think it should be shared, you know. I think everybody should get to see that. I mean, I think about all the years Dad took me to all the hunting shows, and that's what we always, you know, look at all the big bucks, and oh, my goodness, it's crazy to think that, you know, that's, um, you know, and I get people want me to sign stuff. And that's, to me, that's kind of um, like, you know, my signature, my signature. <laughs> it's just, a, I'm just, I'm no different, you know, like, but, you know, I'm happy to do it if that's what somebody excites somebody or somebody wants, you know, I'm like, oh, absolutely, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. cool. But, um, but it's been good. Yeah, it's been uh, great. It'd be cool to, I'm excited about my boy getting older. He's five now and he's, he goes out every night with us with his, he's got his little own set of binoculars and. We go out and look at deer in the bean fields, and I'm excited to be able to take them to the shows later and, and just be involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's awesome. You know, you, you bring up a good point, and we, we talked about this earlier today, um, you know, about being able to share those things, you know, with other hunters, with people around you, and that's what makes hunting so fun and so cool. And you brought up an interesting point about, you know, trail camera photos now and how your, how your view on that has kind of changed. So maybe let's talk about that a little bit. What were we kind of talking about earlier and how your, your view has changed on sharing some of that information? You know, I remember um, there being a time in my life where I hunted and um, I grew up hunting with a big family that hunts. We would go out hunting, we'd hunt all day, and we'd come back to the campfire and everybody would share their stories. And I mean, we joked and we laughed and we had, you know, there were times where me and dad knew about a buck in an area and we wouldn't tell our uncles. And then the next, we'd hunt them all week and not kill them. And then at the end of the week, we'd all be laughing about it because we kept it from them. And, you know, we'd tell them, yeah, we had a big buck up. Oh, you didn't tell us about it, you know? And, and that was, that's what, honestly that's what i grew up on and i love it and it's that's the fun part about hunting and then as time went by i got more serious i got into my 20s and i was like i want to kill a big buck you know and then i started having that theory of well you can't kill a big buck on a couple hundred acres with five people hunting it you know six people hunting it walking all over the place scent control and this and i kind of pushed myself away from that atmosphere 
and it's funny how I kind of found myself eventually hunting these mature bucks and missing that atmosphere. I'm like, I don't really have anybody to share it with. I don't want to tell anybody about these bucks because next thing you know, and, and this is an unfortunate thing that's kind of turned and, you know, is you tell somebody about a buck and next thing you know, he's knocking on a neighbor's door. And, and them are the things as hunters we need to avoid. You know, that's, to me, that is a character thing. That's a, that's a character thing that somebody with a good character could, can, should be able to look at a buddy's buck that he shows them and know that, you know what, he put the work in to find that buck, to hunt that buck. You know, I think it would not be, you know, it wouldn't be a, a great thing as a friend for me to try to kill that buck out from under him or take his knowledge and go try to kill that buck. You know, obviously there's times when, you know, me and Jeremy have deer that run on his property and my property. And we talk about it. Like, are we going to, are we going to agree and take each other's word and pass them another year? Or are we going to hunt them? You know, and we, at the beginning of the year, we make that decision and we stick to it. And, um, but so, you know, I went through that phase and then, you know, all the way up to where I killed my big buck, um, the Kaufman buck. And, um, it's funny how you spend all them years hunting monsters. You want to kill the big one, the big one, the big one, the big one. And then I finally kill this monster that I'll never kill. I'll never go bigger. That's probably the biggest, I'm, I'm hope, I, I don't hope so, I guess. I, I hope I kill a bigger buck, but we know that, you know, the chances are pretty slim. But, um, you know, and, and now that I've killed this big buck and I've realized that, you know, it's, I'm not going to go bigger. I've gone the biggest that I can go. And now I look back and I'm like, it really, I, it, there's, I mean, there's nothing so special about that 300-inch deer to do away with sharing those memories with your buddies, too, to not be in that atmosphere. You see what I'm saying? Like, I guess coming from somebody who has killed that deer and has got to enjoy all the nice things. And I'm not saying nice things don't come along with it. it. It's been a great thing. It's been an honor. It's been, I'm proud of it. And I've enjoyed many things of it. But with that being said, all the things added together with that buck, the enjoyment that comes out of that still does not um, precede what comes out of being in that atmosphere, enjoying hunting and spending time with family and friends and sharing those memories is still greater than killing that. And now that I've realized that, I share pictures with everybody. Like I share them on Facebook. I don't care. And I look at it this way. If I have a good friend and I share a picture of a 200-inch deer with him and he does the wrong move and goes and knocks on the neighbor's door or tries to least, you know what? Now I know who he is. You know, I, you know and, and, and I'm fine with that because, you know, even though I wanted to kill that deer, it's like, you know, that's, that's, it's a learning lesson and I'll take it for that. But I'm, I refuse not to share my memories of hunting because it's just too much. And it's, that's what the enjoyment of it is being a part of, you know, a group of friends who discuss it and talk and share stories and even tell fish stories. You know, he was 180. Well, truth be known, he's probably 160, yeah. <laughs> maybe 150, yeah. you know, but I mean, that's, that's the fun part of it, you know, and, and, um, you know, I've gotten just as much enjoyment out of uh, recently a good friend of mine. He hasn't had very many deer on his property, and we've been talking back and forth and just through scouting and going out and looking at the fields. And uh, he wasn't real excited about season, and I saw a, 
just on the backside of his farm in a bean field, 165 inch deer that he's just ecstatic. And I've had so much fun sharing that with him and calling him every night and like, you got to get down there, man. You got to get down there and see this buck. You, you got, I can't, and I can't wait. He called me, he messaged me last night and said, I finally seen him. I seen him out in the field. Like he called me two or three nights before. He said, you said he was a dark body, real dark, dark velvet, tall and tight. Right? And I said, yes. He goes, are you sure? I'm looking at a deer right now through binoculars. Mm -hmm. It's 145 inches. I said, I promise you he's not 145 inches the deer I'm talking about. And I think he was really thought, well, maybe he's seeing something. Like, he's maybe he's just misjudging it. And finally, last night, I got, you know, he stopped, sent me the text. I seen it. And I said, he's not 145, is he? And he goes, nope. He's by at least 165. And I said, awesome. And I can't wait till he calls me. He says, I got him on trail camera, you know, because... I mean, I'll be just as excited the night he, you know, he shoots completely traditional, no sights, like my hat's off to him. And, and the night he kills that, I'll be ecstatic. Like, I'll be like, awesome. Like, I'll feel like I was a part of it, you mm -hmm. know? So, you know, I think we, as hunters, we can't forget that. Like, you'll get more enjoyment out of that than you will, you know, being greedy and chasing the monster, you know? And that's why we share pictures with each other so often even this morning you know i showed you that buck in wisconsin i had and seven-year-old buck and i just think like well when i have the pictures on my phone i'm always like well who can i share it with who can i share it with because it's that experience you know mm -hmm. and it's that back and forth that education well, how can i kill him and you know that strategy Absolutely. part too but like if you're not sharing it it's just it's just not fulfilling either yep like i can go shoot this big old buck but I don't know. It just doesn't have that same thing unless you can share it with somebody that truly understands it. Um, another passionate bow hunter. Yeah. And um, you think about it, even though we say like we hunt for ourselves and we don't hunt for anybody else. Like, would you really be that if you could go out and kill a 180 inch deer, but after you killed it, you couldn't share it. Never. You never could show anybody the antlers. You could never show anybody the pictures. You could never tell anybody about it. Would you really be that interested in killing it? Like, you wouldn't. Like, like I think about that. Like, if I lived in Alaska and I lived by myself and I was out in the middle of nowhere, would I really, like, would I still trophy hunt? I, I don't know. Like, if I couldn't, if I didn't have a group of friends to share it with, I may just be a meat hunter. I, you know, I don't know that I may just be hunting to kill a deer to, to eat it. You know, I don't know that if you can't share it, I mean. But then I also look at it like, you know, I don't. You know, if I kill a seven-year-old 140-inch deer and I'm proud of him and 90% of the population thinks he's too small, I don't, I, I don't, it don't bother me, I guess. I don't, I'm like, well, you guys obviously aren't seeing something I think I'm seeing, so, right. <laughs> you know, I'm happy with it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's all relative, I think. It absolutely is all relative. And, you know, that's like, JJ, what you were just talking about. That's one of the coolest things about being around the deer study atmosphere. So a lot of you guys listen to the podcast or you watch the hunt breakdowns and, you know, see the, the education that we that we try to share. And we, will, we really want to make you guys a better hunter. But, you know, it, it's not being here in the deer study office and, and having Dan in here and having guys like like Dan and like Adam Hayes and, and like Ben Rising and, and Andy Orr, you know, these guys all, the coolest part about doing what we do is, 
listening to your stories, just like we heard today, listening to all these other guys' stories and learning something new. And JJ and I will have a conversation every morning about what bucks we have on trail camera. And that that educational piece and soaking in as much knowledge, that's the fun of it, man. That's that's what it's all about. I mean, we're, we're talking in March about, you know, plans for, for the fall. And that's what it's all about. Share the knowledge with, with the people around you. Absolutely. Um, and never stop learning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can always learn something new, and, and that's just it. I mean, you know, we, we can't go and, and maybe hunt that 300-inch buck this year, but I can tell you that, you know, maybe some of those tactics will, will apply, you know, to, to my hunt this year. A perfect example is is calling. You know, we've all been in that spot, and we, we've talked about it before. You know, you, you, sometimes you think, well, should I call? Should I not call? You know, how should I call? You know, just sometimes just just – hearing stories about that and gaining more knowledge on it, having the confidence to do it can make all the difference. I mean, do you think, and, and who knows, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Do you think you might not have seen that deer if you hadn't called that night? I, I don't, uh, just from what he showed me, I don't believe I would have. Now, you know, and going back to what you were saying too, is, is I think we as hunters get caught up in the moment and I know myself, I have, but, um, over the last few years, it's kind of dawned on me. I look at it more like this. Um, you know, obviously, I have this goal um, to kill multiple 200-inch deer sometime in my life. I hope I do. I, I really do. I, I, that's Everything I'm doing is kind of directed towards, you know, of killing bigger, mature bucks every year, right? And, you know, you go back on the knowledge part of it and, um, and learning and always learning. And um, I look at it like this. This year, it's highly unlikely that I'll probably kill a 200-inch deer, right? Because I don't have a 200-inch deer. <laughs> um, you know, I have some nice bucks that I would be really proud of killing. And, um, you know, they, they range anywhere from 145 inches up to uh, maybe 170 and um, 175. But what I look at it is this. There will be a time in my life where that 200-inch deer does present itself. And I have an opportunity, Right. And every single time I go in a tree stand, I just want to take this much knowledge home, just a little piece. Every time I step foot in the field, if I can just take a little piece, them little pieces, they add up and they add up and they add up. So if you think you're not hunting that 200-inch deer this year, you actually are. You're just hunting him. You're educating yourself to where when he does present himself, now you've taken all that knowledge for every time you've stepped foot in a field, every time you shed hunt. You know, as far as when I walk on a property and I bump a deer, Okay, and I've hunted this property for two or three years. I don't get upset that I bumped a deer. I don't get upset that a deer. What I do is I say, where did that deer run for safety? Because now, in three years, when I have a deer that's bedding in the same area, I can put that together and say, when I have that 200 deer that he's bedding in that same area, and I know he is, I know, hmm. That big thicket over there, over the last three years, I've seen five deer bump out of that spot and run to safety over there. So I know that, that that's where those deer consider safety. So I know they're, they're, they're spending time over there, you know. So, I mean, and that's just a little piece of knowledge that it, it may even be a time in your hunting career that you don't even realize that that, that piece of knowledge um, helped you seal the deal on that that buck, you know, that piece of knowledge, you, you may not even realize you use that piece of knowledge to kill that deer. So I, I'm all about take it in, take every last piece in. Never stop learning. 
I get it. Yeah. So back to when you first released the photo of this buck, what was that like? How many shares? How many comments? <laughs> because it was to kind of frame it. I remember seeing it come through my feed for the first time and, you know, this big 30 inch or 30 point buck in uh, with the big lush food plot in the back. You know, you kind of look at it like, well, what's, what's, what's the story behind this? So the, the picture kind of, you know, triggered maybe some thought process on that, but what was that like posting that? And so, that's actually a, a real good story. Um, uh, the first picture that hit social media was not me. Um, and, <laughs> and that also, once again, has brought great memories to a friend of mine and me, and we laugh about it to this day. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the story here in a second about how we razz him about it. What actually happened was is um, that night the, there were five or six guys at my house, maybe seven or eight, and we didn't want to call everybody yet, but we wanted to call our closest friends to celebrate it. But on the other hand, I also knew being in the hunting industry, I kind of wanted to I want to hold off. I want to make sure I got all my ducks in a row and, and ready to go before I go releasing this because I knew it was going to be a pretty big deal. Well, two of my buddies were out in the garage, and, and Jordan, my good friend, he says, hey, let me get a picture with it. And he, so he took a picture of Jordan with the buck holding it with his phone and then you know and texted it to jordan so jordan had it on his phone well jordan would have never i mean he's just a great guy i get along with him he's another fireman and um well sure enough that guy sent that picture to somebody and somebody and it ended up hitting social media still to this day jordan has more likes and more hits <laughs> on that picture Still to this day, then <laughs> I, I swear to you. So that picture recirculates every single year, and um, it's great because um, I take advantage of it. I laugh about it. And as a matter of fact, Jordan actually ended up getting married. Um, it was probably a year later, and um, and and even though I was like kind of upset about it, I didn't. You know, I was like, it's not worth it to get mad about it. You know, it's happened, whatever, and and. Uh, Oh, uh, Jordan was actually, he took pictures of him and his wife together with a deer they killed and says, he's talking about his trophy, but he's talking about his wife and them getting married. And I said, oh, I said, you didn't let me take a picture with your trophy and be the first person <laughs> to put it on social media? And, you know, and he just puts, ha, ha, ha. And, of course, he feels terrible about it, you know, to this day. But, you know, that's how we are as firemen. Like, you know, when you feel terrible about something, we just pound it in with them, you know, joking around. But uh, every time, every year, that picture will recirculate, and people start asking, well, that, I thought that was the Kaufman buck. I'm like, no, 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 that's the Jordan buck. That's, Jordan killed that buck, and, and I, you know, I tell everybody where he's from, and, you know, and I'll get on there, <laughs> people asking. And I'm like, yep, yep, Jordan Hayden killed that deer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, of course, he gets hammered on Facebook, you know, and he's like, he just shakes his head, like, you know, laughing. But as far as the first picture of me that hit social media, yeah, it went it went pretty viral too. And um, we actually had some friends out, and um, you know, obviously we did a pretty big photo op and stuff, and took a lot of pictures. And I knew it was going to be a memory that I wanted everywhere for me, you know. And um, we knew that more than likely it hit the front cover of a magazine. Um, we knew that you know it would probably be everywhere. So we took a lot of different pictures. So we had a lot of different things to have pictures of and, and different backgrounds and stuff like that. But it was a surreal moment. Like, there was a lot of things that, you know, as, as much as I knew how big of a deal it was, 
it, it really hadn't hit me yet. It didn't hit me for a good week, probably. I mean, like, it was it was a very, very busy week. <laughs> like, there was so much going on, people trying to call me in. And I'm the type of person that, you know, in, to this day, I mean, and anybody who wants to call me out on this can try. I have responded to every single message, text message, Instagram message. Um, you know, every once in a while, I'll get an Instagram message that I didn't respond for three months because it's like hidden because they're not like following me or something. And it's like hidden and it pops up and I'm like, where did this come from? I got to answer this. But, you know, I've always responded to that because I always believed like, it's like, I don't want people thinking that I'm not, you know, I like to talk to everybody. I get along with everybody. I put my pants on the same as you do in the morning, you know, and, and, um, but I've responded to every single Facebook messenger, text message, call, phone call. Um, and, and I, I kind of take pride in that because I want people, I want people to, I don't want people to, um, think that I'm, you know, arrogant or, or not, you know, I'll talk to anybody. Um, as a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because I'll never forget when Gordon Winnington called me to put me on the front magazine of uh, North American Whitetail. And, like, I'm sitting here talking to a legend, right? Gordon Winnington, you know. And I remember telling him, I said, like, right off the bat, I said, well, I got, I got two rules. Like, I got two stipulations, and these are the, I will not do it if, without, I said, it has nothing to do with the money or anything like that. I said, but first, my boy has to be on the front cover with me. I said, I will not do a magazine article unless my son... It's on the front cover with me. And I literally, I don't even know when I got that magazine. I don't even know if I looked at the deer. Like, I think I was in tears because, like, that's me and my son. That's me and my son before he even knew what hunting was. Like, that to me was like, Oof. And then the other one was I told him, I said, you know, I said, I need to edit it before it hits the magazine. And they don't typically do that. They don't let you edit before it hits the street. But I knew. I'm like, No. I said, I want to edit it. I said, I'm, I don't, I want to know that it's only facts in there. I said, I do not. I said, I know too many people. I don't want my name being tore down over something stupid. And so he let me edit it. But I was laughing because I'm like, I'm talking to Gordon Winnington and I'm throwing him stipulations, you know, <laughs> like really. <Yeah. laughs> but, um, but yeah, he was great with it. He was, he was awesome. I, I, that's one of the, one of the people that I've met in the industry that, that I'm, I'm happy that I, you know, it was, it was a pleasure working with him, you know? Um, so yeah, it was very, that picture going out was very surreal. It was very, um, exciting, but also very busy. It kept me on my feet for a while. Very, um, a lot of things going on. Can only imagine. Well, <clears throat> guys, if you're just listening, go and check out, uh, Kaufman Buck, send Dan a message. Don't send Jordan a message. Um, no, oh, you can send, Jordan a message. send Jordan a message too, <laughs> but, uh, no, definitely go check out the Kaufman Buck. Um, and, uh, and definitely check out the story on, on the Deer Society page as well. Um, if you're listening, uh, make sure you give us a follow, uh, subscribe on YouTube and we appreciate you tuning in. And, uh, Dan, we appreciate you having you in studio. Hey, thank you guys for having me. It was a good time. And good luck. Good luck this fall. Hey, good luck to you guys too and everybody out there.